Welcome, everybody, to the Affiliated Podcast with Thomas McMahon and Kyle Kosteka. Today, we had an amazing conversation with Scott Rewick talking about how to go from zero to seven figures and seven figures and beyond. And he has a ton of experience and some really amazing stories. What did you think, Thomas? That was great. Now, I love Scott. He's one of my favorite people. I think he first introduced me to the idea of playing defense versus offense. I'm glad we got to dive into this podcast with some real good nuggets on how a business can play defense so you can keep scaling, not get hampered by your growth kind of get through that then I learned why he's so good at splits which is a great little nugget mm-hmm. I'm always curious about so yeah so if you <laughs> want to know how an adult man could do splits so well like Scott and five things to make your business better jump in and give it a listen welcome everyone today and we are talking with the amazing the brilliant and the strikingly handsome Scott Rewick today. Um, so for it was it it was CEO of um, Native Path, if I remember right. Or was it CEO? I can't remember some executive position at Native Path. I probably should ask you beforehand, but here we are. <laughs> Spitballing like crazy. Scott Rewick is going to be talking. He has a great, amazing background, um, not only doing some just fantastic marketing things, knowing the top people in the industry, because he is and was one of the top people in the industry and, and still is just in a different capacity today. Um, so super excited to talk with him um, and also super famous for doing the things that sometimes other people hate doing and learning to love it and do it well. So lots of good things to talk about today. Uh, but first, Scott, how are you doing? How are things going today? Awesome. Can't complain. You know, it's it's I'm stoked to talk to you guys. I These are these are topics I love talking about. So if you ask me about football or baseball unfortunately i really couldn't tell you much but if it's talking about things like this that i love i could likely talk your ear off so thank you guys for having me oh good so thanks for joining man yeah yeah well i I mean i guess i have to strike if our play-in conversation about the play-in turn in the nba (laughs) (laughs) well scott um just to get things going i you really have a a, you know an interesting background and, and obviously said you know, founded a very successful company in Native Path. Um, you know, before your your exit out of that business. Um, what we'd love to hear is if you could just walk us through kind of your entry point into the world of of, of you know direct response marketing or online marketing. Uh, you know, and, and how you got started. Then that first seven figures, how you made that first million with the company. Just kind of walk us through that experience. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's a long one. I mean, whether it's good or bad, I've been doing this for a long time. I feel like super blessed and stoked and. Uh, to, to be able to have been in this industry for over 20 years. So I'll try to make it really quick, the run up to, to what I did. But but the, the long and the short of it was I moved, I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. I was really lucky enough to move back in 1996. And you were all probably not even born yet, or maybe you were. <laughs> we, were six years old. we were all born, yeah, <laughs> born. I was born at that time, you're good. In 1996, how old were you? I was six. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, I'm not that much, I was. 96 would have been eight, eight years old. Oh, you're old. Yeah. My goodness. So yeah, anyway, well, you know, I got, you know, I, I was living in LA, you know, did a bunch of stuff in LA and moved back to And so, you know, I really got my first start um, when a lot of this stuff was coming up for the first time. And, and by stuff, I mean, you know, the first um, ads were being shown for the first time or the first ad server, a company called FastClick, right? And the, the beginnings of these giant affiliate networks like Commission, Commission Junction and Be Free and these types of things. So I really got lucky because I fell into this world almost accidentally because I moved back to the Bay Area and um, got involved with internet, you know, a variety of things around the internet. So I was selling co-location services to start T1s, T3s, 
you know, ISDN lines, if, if those of you remember those data center locations. So I was, I sold all this data center stuff. So I was really just like, I fell into this world. And part of the reason why I loved it so much was that nobody wore a tie. Like I remember selling my first account into Wire Magazine. I came in with a tie and a suit and and there were essentially a wall of ties. And the guy that I met with gave me a pair of scissors and said, you know, would you like to do it or shall I? I ultimately cut off my tie and stuck it up there. But <laughs> that, type of, that type of like um, off the beaten path, like different thinking really resonated with me because I was like a classically trained sales guy. And so that whole world of like dudes and Birkenstocks and like Hawaiian t-shirts and like flip-flops and like, you know, I could tell you stories about my, my early affiliates were 16 year olds, 15 year old kids. Um, so I really fell in love with that world. Um, I started my first company with a couple of buddies. We caught, it was called Netflip. It, it, it eventually rolled into a company called Meta Reward, which we sold to Experian for 30 million bucks. Oh, nice. But that was my first kind of like jump into like this quickly moving affiliate world um, where we created an affiliate network. We had affiliates, we had partners like Nextcard. You guys remember Nextcard? They were one of the first credit cards to embrace online marketing. So you know, we were at some, we were at one point like something like twenty percent of of Netflix's new customer acquisition. Anyway, the long and the short of it was, I got my start doing all that stuff um, back. Uh, we sold the company in like two thousand two thousand one, right before the first kind of cr crash happened. Yeah, and um, you know, from there I went on to found a company called NetBlue. Um, it, again, it's I, I love telling these stories because, you know. <sighs> I can tell you the NetBlue story, which is interesting as well. But, you know, we started off as a company called Your Free DVDs, where we're giving away free Spider-Man DVDs by signing up for, for Blockbuster or for Netflix. And, you know, these these kind of like, you know, really lightweight consumer plays end up becoming something bigger. NetBlue ended up becoming a $130 million a year kind of giant in the space. Oh, wow. We were doing full-scale MSN buys for 50K a day. Um, we ultimately raised 30 million bucks in venture financing and took pen out for ourselves. And so... I just kept, kind of kept rolling in the space over all these years. Um, I remember, you know, well, yeah, I remember so many things. I could tell you stories, but one of the cool things about taking venture capital was I had gotten like an actual million dollar check and I wanted a check. They said, let's to wire you the money. Or I said, no, I actually want a check. I really want a check because I wanted to take it into the bank. I was banking with Wells Fargo and I really, you know, there was a, I was a young 30 year old guy. I wanted some validation. I wanted the teller. To, to be really excited about a million dollar check and, and I wanted some validation and I wanted to be like, you're the man. And she couldn't have cared less. It was as <laughs> if I was depositing a $10 check. I, I gave her the check and, and you know, she said, do you, you know, do you want this in your checking or savings account? And I was just like, do I get a toaster? Like, <laughs> I get a, where's the champagne? Like, does a cake come out? She like, when's that happen? One of those small less. bills. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but that, you know, that was my, first taste into getting a bit of money um, back in the day and, and realizing that, you know, you, you got money's great and it's great, but it was more about the journey. So I just, from there, I was able to kind of um, move on to a bunch of other things. I started a company called Next Internet. Um, I took over as CEO for a company called Lucky Surf. We sold that for 8 million bucks, um, blah, 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 blah. It eventually led to Native Path, which my partner Chris and I started about six years ago. We were called the Paleo Secret. We had no idea how to do any kind of direct-to-consumer marketing. For us, data was just data. It wasn't Mary Smith living in Duluth, Minnesota with two kids and 20 pounds to lose. So, you know, just through sheer luck and grace, we got kind of, well, we kind of burst our way into the to the health space six years ago and, you know, eight years ago it was Mike Geary and a lot of these guys, 
that you guys all know that are doing interesting stuff. We learned about ClickBank. We didn't know what an autoresponder series was. We didn't know who ClickBank was. You know, who are these guys in Idaho? We have no idea, you know, like, so, um, but we got really lucky because I think that if you're nice and people like you, you'll get afforded nice things. And so guys like Tyler Bramlett, right, wrote our first autoresponder series. And guys like Harlan Kilstein gave us our first copywriter. We had no idea what copy was. So I think, you know, part of the lesson is like being a kind, good person in such a very, we, we live in a very, very close knit community of people. We all kind of know each other and the bad guys get run out of town and the good guys get surrounded by more love uh, is the first lesson I learned um, uh, in business, which is just be a good person and uh, good things will happen. So anyway, we we had no idea what we were doing with um, with Paleo Secret, but we got going, we failed, we failed for a year, we started to grow, we met guys like Organifi, we started to partner with people, um, BioTrust, you know, we got to, we had to lay the land, we kind of like burst our way into the health and wellness space, like, hey, we're here, we're not going anywhere, but we're here. And we learned a lot. Um, we ultimately scaled that to about 30 million bucks. We made the transition from like single product in the paleo space into more of a branded play like Native Path. We knew paleo had a life cycle, but we our intention was not to create like a product-based company that just built out product after product and they all died. We wanted to build more of a brand. So we went Native Path. We went from digital to physical, which is a big jump for a lot of people. Um, and I was telling you guys earlier, like, you know, Chris and I, I think we're both very offensive players. We, we knew how to, we could smell the money. We knew how to make it. We knew about landing pages. We knew about VSLs. We knew about traffic. But what I realized early on was that, you know, so much of the success that makes the difference between the guys that are doing eight, nine figures and the guys that barely get out of the gate are people, people that embrace systems. They embrace systems and they take the really boring stuff that most people find pretty boring, like the tape on packages or how long it takes to get back to a customer or mid architecture. And I really force myself to like, like that stuff. It's like, you know, swallowing broccoli for 30 times. Like you hate broccoli, but you just eat it every single day. And finally, I love, I love broccoli. It was amazing. It was great. So, so that's really, I think um, that and having an amazing, amazing partner really propelled us into the 30 million buck range. And we're still an ongoing entity and growing from there. So anyway, I hope that's, that's a little bit of my background, but yeah. I, I just more than, feel stoked to kind of be in this space. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I want to, let's delve into that a little bit more because obviously a lot of amazing stories in there. First, the, the, the flashback of talking about using DVDs to get Netflix subscriptions. I just want everyone to like marinate in that for a second, how crazy <laughs> oh it is. You mentioned Blockbuster in a way it's not, oh, Hey, yeah. remember Blockbuster, but like an active part of like oh. a marketing campaign as well oh, as yeah. I just have to take for a moment when you're describing like the Hawaiian shirts and no tie business. I agree. There's something about the West Coast and, and especially the the Silicon Valley area where it's like the Jimmy Buffett school of business that everybody seemed to yeah. attend, where you're yeah. wearing toe shoes, vibrant toe shoes into work <laughs> and rolling in at 10 o'clock, um, but still getting stuff done. So, um, yeah. No, it, you know, look, I'll tell you that like the Bay Area is and was in a very unusual space and where you had a collection of misfits. You had universities like Stanford, you know, you know, um, Berkeley, you had a, a really a high concentration of really, really intelligent people. And there was like a glitch in the matrix. And there was a series of guys that were just brilliant, but, but in a different way. And so I naturally went toward those guys and they were highly intelligent people um, that were, you know, doing very, very different things in the online world. And a lot of it was just being created for the first time. So it was just like people with broad strokes, just like creating stuff out of nothing. And so I really got, you know, kind of 
pushed my way into that world and really found it as a home because they're unusual people. They're people that drive Priuses that are worth a hundred million bucks. They're not the typical kind of suit and tie kind of guys. And for whatever reason, like daddy issues or whatever you want to call it, I just gravitated toward, toward those people. Mm-hmm. You know, my, my, my younger brother is, is a, you know, runs global M&A for, you know, UBS. Uh, and he's a very buttoned down, you know, kind of guy with a suit and tie. And he just still doesn't understand my world of like 16 year old affiliates and, you know, the, the motley crew of people that you guys must mm-hmm. run into all the time, right? So, yeah. so those are just my people. Um, yeah. And it, I think because, you know, I would see those people. So, I mean, like, you know, one of my l- largest affiliates when we ran Meta Reward was turned out to be a 15 year old kid. <laughs> and I remember calling because we had, we got the check kept coming back to us. We were sending him a check for like 80 bucks. Did I tell you this story, Thomas? No, no, this is cracking me up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we, were, we were an affiliate network. Um, you know, we, we were getting transactions for Blockbuster, uh, you know, Nextcard, Discover, you know, Visa, these types of things. Anyway, big affiliate doing a lot of volume, 80,000 bucks. The chat kept coming back, sent to us like, you know, wrong address. Okay, I'm Scott Ruick. I'm VP of Business Development at MetaWard. Got a lady on the phone. I was assuming it was the secretary. Um, you know, like to send you a check. Who is this? Well, it's, you know, this is my son. You know, <laughs> literally, no joke. He was a 15 year old kid. He was doing his homework and he was doing this kind of on the side as, <laughs> as, a, as a couple. And I was talking to his mother and, you know, I don't think she really understood that I was, I had a check for 80,000 bucks. You weren't the scamming scam. anybody, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. Like a Nigerian scam, like giving your credit. But, but um, I, I think through just a series of those, and I could tell you 10 stories just like that. Um, I began to like really appreciate the guys in the beards, the guys with the flip flops, the guys, because those were the people that I said, well, they're re- actually really doing something interesting. Yeah. So that became my love affair with like the, um, the, the, the you know, the, the motley fool, the yeah. motley crew of people that didn't make like the enterprise run a card management program or yeah. like they just were over here doing interesting things. So that's, um, yeah, I could tell you probably a dozen stories, Kyle, just like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've always, I just, I love that. I always tell my wife, it's like, listen, these are like the pirates of the, of the business world. Like, and it's in the best, most positive way possible. Like these are. My wife's because, like, do you need to pack slacks to the work trip? I'm like, no, if I wear slacks, I'll be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the sport yeah. coat alone yeah. is just putting me at like, yeah. a low stress level. Ways, yeah. maybe. Right. You look like a narc. You don't want to be a like, narc. You go yeah. to these events, right? Someone in the tank top all the way up to someone like a fitted Armani suit and everything yeah. in between. They're yeah. all chatting with you, each other. Yeah. Totally. You yeah. learn to avoid the guys with the fitted suits because it's, <laughs> you know, it's guys that you all know, Brad Howard's or the, you know, the guys drinking the Pabst Blue Ribbon with the, you know, the cowboy. Those are the guys I think that are interesting, at least from my perspective, that are doing interesting things. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, turning your Don Perry on for some PBR. I think that's a good transfer every time. <laughs> so, um, well, going back to from a, from a tactical perspective, I think one area I really want um, to hear from you is that, you know, you, you had all the success in kind of the the early days of internet and, and did some amazing things. Uh, but then you mentioned like you and your partner went to go, okay, let's go into this health and fitness direct response world. And it came with a lot of you know, headaches and challenges and barriers to, you know, to get in there. And so if you could walk me through what I'd love to hear is like that first little tidbit as you're entering in there, trying to kind of build up the business, maybe the six figure to seven figure range. And then really, if you could get it up to the point that you said you did that switch where you started focusing and seeing the systems on the things that just aren't fun. So I'd love to hear the before yeah. what was going on and then the after and how it changed. Yeah, I mean, as you guys undoubtedly know, because you deal with so many affiliates, 
when you're just starting out, it's all hands on deck. So, you know, you're, you literally are doing everything. You're setting up the first media buys, you're, you're buying the domain, you're doing, you know, you're buying the insurance, just everything. And that's what you have to do. And there's some people that are very, very good at that. And some people that are, that aren't. And, and Chris and I were both very, very good at that. But, you know, part of what really slowed us down, honestly, was our own ego, because we had come from this world where we didn't know who ClickBank was. Mike, Mike, who? Mike Geary? <laughs> Look at this. This guy has like these little dancing gifts on his page, and it looks like it's a GeoCities page. Like, <laughs> this is a joke. Like, we were like high volume affiliate guys. And so part of it was like there was this parallel world over here with guys that you all know, the leader, the Brad, how all these guys, and there was us. And so we were just jumping over here. And part of it was like, we're like, we're going to annihilate these guys. Like, these guys are still on like, you know, my, I mean, like we just were like, we're so good. And so to be honest, a lot of our ego got in the way because when we started to jump into it, we're like, this is really hard. Like what's a video sales letter? Like what's an autoresponder series? Like, so we got, I mean, we did 600 grand our first year and that's could be good or bad or whatever, but that was just like relentless work, like relentlessly getting the shit, sorry, we getting beaten down <laughs> you know, in this new world of like ClickBank and like health and wellness, but we just were committed to staying in the space. And so we went from like getting the basics done. We went and got a VSL. We paid 4,000 bucks for it, which was the most we'd ever paid for anything. And, you know, I think Tyler Bramlett felt so sorry for us. He's like, you guys are nice guys, but let me write your autoresponder series for you for free. We became friends with all these people. We get to show up at events. And so you know, we really just kind of forced our way into the space. Um, Chris was particularly interested in paleo, it had changed his life, but we just sat back there with kind of a student mentality to learn this stuff, even though, again, our ego was like, well, I raised 30 million bucks and like we have all, we're doing high volume lead gen. And, and so we just kind of like humbly forced our way into the space. And, you know, the first thing we hooked up with was a lot of them a lot of the paleo guys that we re realized weren't good marketers. I mean, you guys probably see people in your space who are so focused on the product. They just suck at marketing. And so we saw those guys and we're like, yeah, it's we, paleo effects. We started studying all this thing about paleo and we started to push away the marketers that we didn't feel like mm -hmm. understood marketing. And then we ran across all these really amazing marketers that guys we all talk about, right? And we started studying what they did. And again, they were all really helpful to us. They weren't really that might at some level viewed us as you know um as competing with them but we were all cooperating together to move the ball so so really we got going with paleo secret we started to um, get new customers you know again your first customer five customers a day 10 we started growing that business we grew that business to about 10 or 15 million bucks a year um which i think in today's standards actually like is, is not that interesting because like some of the numbers coming out of clickbank from what i understand like like are just these crazy numbers every month. So we took the slow road. It took us six years to get to 30 million bucks. But, you know, looking at some of the offers that you guys have, it's like six months. It seems like people are doing this stuff with some of these offers. So I'm super fascinated with that world. But, but you know, I mean, so so we started to kind of move the ball a little bit. And, and you know, we kind of began to differentiate, like, whose lane was, what lane were we going to be in? And Chris was particularly good at traffic and good at you know, kind of the looking at the overall like AOV, LTV, imaging, all that stuff. And then what I began to realize was that a lot of work got thrown behind the scenes, things like customer service, supply chain, you know, I mean, just a million topics that, that I kind of begrudgingly said, okay, I'll do. Cause I realized if you had two guys doing offense, it just creates a effing mess behind you. <laughs> 
stuff that needs to get done. So I'm like, roll up my sleeves. I'm going to learn how to do this stuff. So we kind of just like gradually. Real fast. I just want to pause you because I think that's a really big point, right? Because you went from this mode where you guys are just doing everything, just building, building, networking, you know, learning, failing over and over and over again. Um, But as it go, you just started to get that eight figure range. Can you walk through, were there some, what were some of the leaks that you were starting to see? You mentioned you're kind of leaving like the war path of like all the damage in the back end from all that offense. Like what were some of the cracks or um, the leaks that were coming yeah. through the business that you started to notice that made you think, I oh don't think God. we should keep focusing on super offense. common, right? We try yeah. to, most clients I'd say only focus on offense until a certain point when the back end's on yeah. fire and then they have to play some defense. Yeah. But it's, and that's what people do, Thomas. They, they wait till it's too late till the ship's on fire and then you have much, much bigger problems. So we just had a Swiss cheese boat. Like we, we made every mistake. I mean, I won't even tell you about supply chain like this, but like I could go, I mean, I personally have made so many mistakes and you know we're still alive doing stuff, but but you know some of the early ones were you know you're on the wrong cart. You know we started off with Ultra Cart, right? Then we get on the wrong ESP. We're on Aweber, and it's not designed for high volume. And then you know we get a call from Stripe because our because our chargebacks are too high. And then we get a call from you know uh, an attorney's general saying that you know you you're not unsubscribing this guy. So. As you scale, there's just a litany of problems that go that that come underneath you that that just are as a result of scaling. Now, in a digital environment, you don't worry as much about supply chain because it's just you hope AWS stays up. But I mean, moving into like actual physical products, an t- entirely different game altogether. And you know, the series of problems that you would address going from like zero sales to one sale is significantly different than going to say one sale to 100 sales a day or scaling to 300. I think at our peak, we were doing about 2,000 units a day of collagen. And again, that's like peanuts to some of your vendors. But but um, along the way, I mean, things are breaking. You hold it together by duct tape and the duct tape eventually just breaks. And it's, you know, it's Stripe shutting your account down or Facebook shutting you down or it's mids blowing up or it's any number of things that are happening along the way that you have to break. You're changing technology platforms, you're moving ISPs, you get blocked by Google. So you just get used to just kind of like waking up every morning, putting your suit of armor on, getting your coffee, and just waiting for the barrage of problems <laughs> to hit you. And you just solve them one by one by one. And you just hope that one problem doesn't take you out completely. And in our case, I don't know how it didn't. So we just kept pushing forward, pushing forward, fixing this, learning about this. You know, we, we had no idea what a VSL was. We got a VSL going, we started making sales. You know, somebody once said to me like, who's your customer? And we're like, we have no idea who our customer is. Okay, it's actually women. So look at the VSL. The VSL talks about getting shredded or ripped abs. Well, women don't want that. So I just think that like, there were so many mistakes that we made along the way. But again, I think if you're willing to kind of come back to it, learn it, fix it and never do it again and just keep going, you have higher value problems that you solve. And at some point people reach, like even my, I, I can't, I probably have never scaled past 200 million bucks. There's a whole series of problems that are to be solved at 200 million versus your first sale. I mean, I've scaled to like 130 million bucks, but like, so I know that range of problems, um, but there are, you know, I'm not sending a man to Mars, I'm not Elon Musk, you know, like there's <laughs> different, we're doing like, you know, we're selling health stuff, right? Right, yeah. What are some? So, um, yeah, dude, I could, I mean, I just, we, we made every mistake. I'm not every, but we made a lot of mistakes going forward. And so when you're that's talking really with bad. the 
when you're talking with up and coming marketers who are starting to get some traction going, right? Let's say 50 sales a day, hundred sales a day, kind of they're starting to churn, they're focusing on offense and all that. Are there any like go-to things that most of them need to do to play some preliminary defense so they don't wake up to as many fires? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that there are, I would say that there's kind of like five main areas that, that I think are just like the basics that, that you, you, you want to be looking at in addition to, running your business and getting sales. And I think that like the way I look at it is, you know, I call it generally playing defense, but there's five main areas that you want to look at. So first is, you know, looking at how you get paid and the relationship you have between like, you know, in your case, like if ClickBank is your, is your, is your mid, um, how that relationship happens. So that usually, that usually comes out with like customer service or chargebacks and making sure that your product fits within ranges that are, that are acceptable to ClickBank or acceptable to Stripe. So that's a whole other study. It's like making sure that customers get taken care of. Again, it's looking at refund policies. It's looking at how fast you get back to customers. You know, if it's like, oh, I email my customers back in a week, right? Well, that's probably not acceptable. So we would work to like, okay, if it's an hour, how do you make it 20 minutes? So that's probably step one. I think step two would be like looking at like uh, financial reporting and accounting, right? So a lot of people, so many people I run across, they. They literally run it off of the, of the, you know, my revenue yesterday was 50K and my, I think my costs were this. I think my, my uh, cost of goods sold were this. I think my ClickBank fees were this. But what I tell people is that if you're getting to a point where you have some real volume, you need to be really articulate about how you line all that stuff up in a Google spreadsheet and an Excel document, which gives you a daily P&L, which gives you like a picture of the business, right? So I think like financial um discipline is probably the second thing that i would look at is making sure that you can look at your numbers in a spreadsheet and from there it, it tells it just a whole slew of stories i think the third area is people right because as you scale this stuff you, you're likely to bring on people you're bringing on your first hire you're bringing on a partner and so looking at areas where you can systematize like career paths and like outline sops and like as you scale this stuff you know, again, you start off doing everything, right? I, I was doing Facebook media buying and sending mail and all that stuff. But at some point, when you get to what you're talking about, Thomas, 100 sales a day, you need to build a team. And so having a systematic approach to building a team out to support that revenue, I think is the third area. Um, the fourth I, fourth area, and this probably more relates to, you know, some of your physical products, but like looking at supply chain is really important. Um, you know, I remember, again, talking to Brad, who I keep mentioning, but good buddy of mine, how do you support selling 6,000 bottles of research a day, right? It's, it's, it's this network of multiple fulfillment houses, multiple formulators, and navigating that whole thing and making sure you don't order too much. He doesn't want to sell a million bottles that he can't sell, not having enough. And we've made that mistake as well. I made both mistakes pretty, pretty well. So I think that would be kind of the fourth thing. Um, I think the fifth thing would be just like everything else. It'd be like, like looking at your tech stack, it's like, it's just, there's a number of things that relate to like, you should pay attention to along the way. And it gets really hard because if you're focused on the sales part of it, you know, doing hardcore BD and getting affiliate pages up, this is stuff that like, it's not gonna take you forever, but you need to pay attention to if you plan to be around for a while. Is because that when I you're asking yourself like redundancies, like, you know, is there backup? Totally. Yeah. yeah. No, no single points of failure. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, the good news with working with ClickBank is you guys do a lot of that heavy lifting for the customer already, whether it's merchant account stuff or customer service or, or dealing with affiliates. So I'm a massive, massive fan of ClickBank out of the gate because you guys do a lot of the heavy lifting that would, would, would have somebody on their own doing a Shopify site and doing 
you know, making sure they're in good graces, right. dry, yeah. and fresh death. I mean, it's a lot of work. Um, so, I mean, those are those are some of the five basic areas, and I could probably go into a dozen other ones that along the way you should be looking at, whether you hire someone to do it or you work with someone like me to kind of like give you the outline of how to do this stuff. I think if you're going to be a serious player, you're going to have to have some amount of energy paid to those areas. And they're not, that can be not that fun. You know, yeah. it's not that fun. <clears throat> well, I'm going to press you on the five before we jump uh, beyond <laughs> going beyond that. Cause I mean, there's no, I a, some big five areas. So um, one thing I'd love if you could, Scott is, I think a lot of people probably hear that and think, man, I want to, I need to do all these things at once, but to kind of give some really good actionable tidbits, if you could tell, go through each of those five areas you just listed and we'll, we'll recap yep. again. It's going to be, um, the first one was kind of the relationship with processing. We'll call it customer service. Um, second was now here I am forgetting financial, it. financial, down, yeah. Yep. <laughs> financial yeah. reporting, daily P and L yeah, uh, financial reporting. And then it was people and then supply um, chain, supply chain mm-hmm. and then fifth, Everything I don't know, I forget. Everything else, yeah. <laughs> Every, the text, everything and actually, else. for fifth, what I'd like you to focus on is the tech stack piece. Because I know I see a lot of people, you're Franken-building your business because um, that's what you need to do early on. And then we want to take Frankenstein's monster and turn it to a real person. That could be a real challenge. So um, if you give me one thing to not do and then one thing you absolutely wish you could have done or you tell people for each sure. one of those steps. Um, and with the fifth one, we're going to make tech stack. So we'll, yeah. we'll, if you feel so, good with that. So, the first one is I would say when you're just out there doing a hundred sales or 50 sales is I would answer every single customer service question yourself to start with. And the reason that's important is because if you listen hard enough, they will give you really valuable information on how to make your product better. And hopefully they won't refund, they won't charge back, but, but really start out by listening to your customers because they will tell you, they'll not only write your ad copy for you in, in the word choice they use, with how they bought it, how they use it. I mean, here's a great example. You know, we thought people were buying collagen to lose weight. We, we, we launched collagen and we thought, well, take collagen, you better lifestyle, you'll lose weight. No, 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 totally wrong. People were using it to get skin, better skin, better hair, better nails. And the reason we knew that is we surveyed our customers and they, they told us. So we had all these assumptions about why people were using our product. So I think step one is A, listen to your customers very carefully. And B, make sure that you answer all their, their emails uh, personally to start. And then C, I would have some like baseline in terms of how long you want to get back, how long you're allowing yourself to get back to them. Now, again, if you're a one-man show, it might take you a couple days, and that's cool. But you got to start somewhere and say, okay, like the first month, our customer service, it takes us two days to get back to a customer. What would it take next month for June to drop that down to 24 hours? What would it take for us to do that? Okay, we need to add two more people or whatever. So. I would say first thing is like really listen to your customers and communicate with them in some formulaic way, which like attempts to get better every single month. That would be first step. The second thing with, with financial stuff is start with a really, now I'm old school, I use Excel, but I've been talked into using, you know, Google Docs and these Google spreadsheets, but start with the most very basic level of accounting, which is like, look, yesterday my revenue was 4K. <laughs> And uh, I think that, uh, okay, let's just say I'm a digital product. So cost of goods sold are zero. My ClickBank fees are this. Um, my media costs are this paid to affiliates. Um, my refunds, my chargebacks. And it gives me like a, a, a gross profit number. And then from there, you can say, okay, below the line, it's things like salaries or insurance or you know Google Suite or um, fresh desk charges that go underneath there. And then guess what? I made 150 bucks yesterday. 
And then so so get in the process of building. I mean, it can get very complex from there. I mean, you can tie in all these different spreadsheets, but just start by basically getting a really basic handle on your business. Um, you have to have some level of financial literacy. The beautiful, the beautiful part about this space is that everything's measurable. And that's also yeah. the downside is everything's measurable. You're just hit with this morass of data. Start with the basics. Like in my ClickBank account, it said I made 3,500 bucks. You know, like the ClickBank feeds with this, this, this. It's great. I think I made 300 bucks yesterday. Um, so that would be the second thing is, again, it doesn't have to be complex, but it can be very basic. I was a C plus math student. It doesn't have to be very, you know, so I have. No, I, I was have shocked at how few people do that <laughs> when I started this um, in the space. I was like, um, completely, dude. It blows yeah. me. I mean, if you're a savant like Brad or any number of these guys, you're already doing it in your head. You could probably tell me off of the back of the envelope, but none of us, very few people are like that. So you have to have some level of financial literacy. And again, that can be done by you doing it. Now we did it because again, it'll tell you a story like, oh shit, we lost money yesterday. Why? Oh, let's look at my Facebook ads. Oh, it's this ad. So it really will, it will allow you to be the Wizard of Oz behind the scenes if you have access to some financial data which will help navigate your business and um, just a just a pause real fast is it just on that note do you find did you take when you're looking at like the cash that's coming in so you're looking at a gross profit margin at the end of the day with those simple calculations but then obviously you're gonna hopefully have some statement of cash or some idea of cash flowing in did you guys take like early on like a certain percentage that you'd put into reserves i know i see a lot of people not only are they not like only tracking it kind of thing, like... but then they're also not doing anything to create sort of liquidity in their businesses those headwinds come in so you know i don't know i a lot of it for me is just my oh, entrance to the world was like a financial accounting and like auditors with like the big firms. So I was looking like Fortune 500 companies balance sheets. So I always assumed everybody had cash reserves readily available all the time. Um, but it seems like I never hear about that in this business. So I wasn't sure if that might be something that you recommend or that you guys did just to make sure that you had that that buffer in the event no. that life happens, like a pandemic you know, possibly. And, and it always does. Like every single month, I can't tell you, Kyle, it's like every single month something was breaking. Like. Oh my God, we're in the spam folder. Oh my God, we're, you know, um, this guy shut us down. Oh my God, Facebook, like, oh, my tech stack broke. Like it's it's literally, I got so used to just solving problems, waking, as long as I got my coffee in me and my suit of armor, like I'm, I'll just sit and solve problems all day long. But, but so, so just plan for everything breaking. And so when you have that mindset, that, that mindset, you're going to be socking money away for a rainy day. Now the rule of thumb, and I, I think, barely anyone follows it is six months of of uh, reserves now the reality is nobody follows that right like six months of operating expenses like for us i think at our height it costs us about 10 grand a day to run the business so 300 grand in operating expenses i didn't have 1.8 million bucks sitting in the bank waiting for a no i didn't because we were reinvesting it in that business but but yeah i mean you have to be very aware if you have the mindset that things are going to be breaking and as you grow expenses will go up I think you'll not pay yourself a whole lot. I think the first year, Chris and I didn't pay ourselves anything. Um, and not everyone can do that. I get it, right? Like you don't have the the, the cash flow to support making zero for a year. Um, in year two, you know, as the big, big business began to scale, I think we did like 1.8 million bucks. You know, you start to set some basic salaries and you, know, you might make yourself an employee because you want to qualify for a house. So you get a W-2. And there's all these things that you can do along the way. But yeah, I mean, you want to basically leave a rather big nest egg in the business and be hesitant to pull it out. You want to pull it out because you want to live and you want to reap the benefits of your work. But if you have the assumption that a rainy day is coming, you want to make sure, and especially like also a lot of guys will do like digital to physical, 
that's a big cash flow requirement. I mean, we launched with five products. Um, you know, each of these products are minimum orders of 2,500 and, oh, you know, wow. they're 10 yeah. months each. And so, you know, you're writing really big checks. And now again, there's like, you know, um, lots of ship offers. There's all these ways to do on-demand stuff, which makes it really easier for you to kind of get going. But, but so you, you want to forecast this stuff out in terms of where you're going with the business, where you want to go and like backtracking, what would be some of the cash flow requirements you're going to need if you want to say, go from digital to physical, or you're growing the business so quick that you have, you're installing new people in and you're, you're buying new services. So it's part art, part science. I learned it just by doing it and making a million mistakes, but um, yeah. 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 I'm glad you made all the mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, that's a perfect transition. You mentioned hiring people. So going into that third category, um, what are some of the big things that you should focus on when it comes to Oh crap, I have to get my first employee or first employees. Okay, I, I think focus on people that think quite a bit differently than you do. Mm -hmm. um, in other words, the tendency is for us to hire people that are like us, that we like, and that's a big mistake. I think you wanna find people that, for example, are really passionate about customer service and taking care of the customer, even almost the word super annoying. Like, well, why do we have a 90 day policy? We should have a lifetime policy. Oh, I can never do that. But think about people that are passionate about what they do and bring them on to take on certain things that you don't necessarily like to do. So as I as we started these things off, we're doing everything. I'm answering customer service emails. I'm putting up, I'm checking Wistia stats. I'm, I'm putting up a Facebook ad. As you scale and you kind of reach a tipping point where you can't do anything else, then think about bringing on people that can take over some of the things that you're doing. So reporting was one thing. We hired a bookkeeper accountant was our almost our first hire. So I gave her the template of like the financial reporting. She took it over. She would put in ClickBank numbers. She would put in our sales numbers. So, so that stuff was like, you know, training her, teaching her to get going. So that was our first hire. The second hire was customer service. Um, somebody who was massively passionate about taking care of our customers. The third hire for us was traffic somebody who was really good at like bringing in new affiliates and doing Facebook media buys. The fourth person was a director of operations. This is someone who could like analyze and do data. The fifth person, I could like name off <laughs> exactly ours. The fifth person might be a copywriter um, who can look at autoresponder series or video sales letters or making copy adjustments. So we followed a very formulaic approach. Well, it almost follows your five steps you just laid out for us. So that's, yeah. <laughs> that's great. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, the thing is like a lot of people won't work out, you know, like some people aren't built yeah. for startups. You know, I talk to, you know, Jeremy Reeves all the time, who's I know a big ClickBank mm -hmm. guy. And you know, you struggle with getting someone on board and training them and they just don't want to work out. They want to do their own thing or they can't. So it really is becomes almost a full-time position um, in terms of like, not only getting people, where do you source them from? Oh, you source them from ClickBank Platinum. You go to these events where you talk to people like, oh, this person's leaving or, so that's part of why the pandemic is so hard is you can't get to these meetings and actually meet people. You're doing it over Skype or IM or whatever. But really it becomes a full-time job in terms of trying to fill holes for the business where if you can fill them successfully and train people up that will allow you to scale but you're only going to rise to the level of like your weakest link if like you hire the wrong email person and the emails can't go out or the email sucks like you just can't elevate past that so it almost becomes a full-time job and in my case i did a lot of it because chris is super introverted he doesn't want to talk to people i have to go out there and you know go to events and talk to people and and he, despite i'm already introverted already it's painful <laughs> but you got to meet people and like get people in places to fit fit them in the right bus fit them in seats in the bus 
and know that that sometimes you know the seat will fall out and sometimes they'll crash but you keep people in the seats how do you motivate them right so anyway i'm i could go off on a tangent here but but the reality is it become a full-time job to basically put people in the right seats and motivate them yeah so one thing i really love that you said at the beginning of that um, that i found really interesting but made a ton of sense if you give me just a couple of quick sentences that, to elaborate it more is the idea of hiring people that think differently than you so how did you go about finding the people that you're like, you think weird, it's different than me, I need that, well, outside just passion with customer service, but those people that are gonna create constructive, constructive friction in your workplace? Because um, I feel like that's kind of what you're striving for. Yeah, there's, I don't, I mean, there, there are endless number of books on how to hire, obviously, and I'm not saying that our approach was the best. I mean, we made so many virtually catastrophic hiring decisions, you know, like, Oh, this guy spends 100k a day on Facebook. He's the world's best media buyer, and then you hire him, and it just totally flames out and crashes out. So, we, we've, you know, and there's there's an argument to be said. Do you bring somebody up? Like we've had a lot of success hiring people out of college that don't know anything about the space. If you can train them from the very early stages, invest a lot of time, and they can grow them up. There, there's some there's some knowledge around hiring industry people that have been doing it for 10 years. So there's there's different debates there as well but i think a lot of it is just gut feel you realize you meet somebody and you have a feeling about them whether they'll be a good fit or not i mean our first copywriter was just a really weird dude that that like was just odd and like everything screamed don't ever hire this guy because he's just <laughs> like a weirdo you know he would copy me whenever i would order food he would copy me the, exactly the same copy food that i did that's, that's weird right like you go to a restaurant and it's like yeah. Can I have a um, hamburger with cheese? And you'd be like, I'll have a hamburger with cheese, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. E even when there's food I like and people order ahead of me, I just, I'm like, well, I have to change what I wanted. Just, I, I don't want to <laughs> do the opposite, that. Yeah. yeah. Well, you yeah. don't want to get what they want, right? Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of it's instilled because when my wife and I go out, it's share, like, I'm going to yeah. share. Yeah. So <laughs> it's, if don't order what I'm going to eat because we'll just split it. But, but yeah, in general, that's always a um, weird thing. Yeah, so if you have like your helmet on for like the the weirder people that think differently, I think you'll find people that that think radically differently. But you want to find somebody who's passionate about their topic. Again, whether it's like I write the world's best email copy, or I am the best, you know, women copywriter between the age forty and sixty, or you know, I just I love mid architecture. It just excites me to think about how I route orders or. You know, like I'm a supply chain guy. Like I just obsess about saving 25 cents from mail printing because then if we did that, like you want to find the nerds, the people that are passionate about topics that you're like, uh, it's kind of weird, dude. Like that's our, but, <laughs> but if you can get enough of these nerds together that all care like super passionately about going from like answering an email in 20 minutes to 10 minutes and like, you know, lowering your, you know, pick fee from mail printing to a buck 25 or somebody who's like obsessive about like getting collagen down from like eight bucks to seven bucks. Like it sounds small, but like collectively you add all that stuff up or somebody who obsesses about media buying. So you want to find people like that, that are, that for whatever reason are passionate about something. Yeah. Uh, again, you, you're, you're going to strike out a lot too. Like yeah. you just, person doesn't work out, but yeah. if you can do enough, you'll get a, you'll, you'll get a solid team of guys or gals that will help lift your business to the next level. Yeah, no, that's fantastic. And I think I love the the think different, but also passion. When that pairs together, you could get 
at least more likely a good employee for you because there's no perfection man like we all (laughs) we all could find ourselves thinking someone's gonna be a perfect fit and they think they're gonna be a perfect fit until we get in the room together and you're like well this isn't gonna work so um like i mean look for like no key man like you know thomas you you brought up a point that i that i talk about a lot which is no single point of failure Mm -hmm. you don't want your business relying on one person like so if you know if you have one person who's in charge of um sending emails out every day and they just decide for whatever reason dude you suck i'm out you don't want the next day to be zero so you ought to be looking at like layers of redundancy in your business such that if this person leaves you're not left holding the bag if your main media buyer shuts off all your accounts and you're you're at zero that's it that's an untenable business risk. So right. I would always look for like, everybody can kind of fill in everywhere else. It's not comfortable. Like in many cases, I had to start doing this over again because somebody left. Um, so you wanna make sure that your business isn't relying on one person um, because that's a bad idea. Well, I think too, that's where systems and processes come into place, right? If you have these teams and these people building the processes and logging the systems that they're making, Right, someone else can come in behind them for the business, even if they're not at right, that full right. skill level. They can get it, you know, they can keep it going eighty percent versus a hundred at least, right? Totally, yeah. So that's that's an argument which I totally agree with, which is like documenting every step, like documenting the processes to do. Okay, first log in to ClickBank, then grab this, then do this, then mail. So like, if you can document all that stuff again along the way of like, it's I say it's like it's like riding it's, it's in a car with the you know sixty miles an hour with the the engine popped and someone you know, putting the oil in and changing the tire as the thing's going, that's, <laughs> you can do that, you know, while you run these businesses, you're going to be in good shape. But yeah, like documenting all this stuff so someone can come behind you and actually do it for you and hopefully iterate and make it better. Right. You know, that's the yeah. idea is you can get someone smart enough to be like, that's great, but I want to do it this way. Oh, wow. I never thought of it. Cool. Let's do it that way. So I love that. Can you, yep. uh, uh, there's a few Facebook groups I always recommend to people. Right. And uh, yours is one of them <laughs> with better marketing. Um, would you be able to fill in what you're kind of got going on there? Cause it seems to be adapting in a pretty cool way right now. You know, it's, it's an area it's, it's, it's a small group. It's several hundred people, but I just try to put good marketers together where there's, it facilitates an area of, of exchange of information. Um, you know, I, I would say there's a lot of really great groups out there and, and, uh, but I try to put content out there. I try to bring interesting people that are really doing things together and have interesting conversations about this space. And again, there's a million topics we can talk about, whether it's traffic or offers or, you know, uh, you know, when does the reveal come or how many episodes you should have, or what's your AOV. But I try to kind of like create an environment. And I'm also part of a lot of other groups as well, mm-hmm. where I try to see what's happening and see what topics are talking about and expand on that. So uh, the Better Marketing Group is just a place where it's like, I needed a placeholder for where I can start putting content and beginning to shoot, you know, in, or talk about relatively interesting information that I think is interesting in terms of scaling these businesses. Yeah, no, and it is a fantastic group. And I know we had two other things that we wanted to, to jump into, but for time's sake, we want to be respectful of Scott's time. Um, so what what you could do is I'd strongly recommend find the Better Marketing Facebook group out there. Add it in there, because one of the things I love that you do in there, Scott, outside of good content, is the interviews that you do. You're getting high-level people having really great conversations, and the wealth of knowledge, it feels like you should be paying a lot of money to listen <laughs> to these that. conversations, yeah. but here I am listening for free, which is always fantastic. Um, and, and for our audience, that could be you as well. We talk about some of the content that our listeners have had. Well, gosh, you're gonna get some amazing content 
from Scott's group. So, um, Scott, can they just type in better marketing to find that in Facebook? Or what's the best way for them to join yeah, and get more to you? Better marketing on Facebook. I don't know. It's like facebook.com slash better market, I think is the, the official name, but I think better marketing, you can find it relatively easy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Kyle, I, I, I have one perspective on things, but what I try to do is get, like I had Amber Spears on last week, who was just fantastic how passionate she is about affiliates, <laughs> or I've had Emily Lark, which mm-hmm. I know you guys love as well. So I try to get people that I cash in my, like, I know you card <laughs> and just me card and they're willing to do it. So Brad Howard, I mean, just any number of people that have been on. So it, it really is, it's not just me talking because I get bored of myself talking. I want to just listen to how other people are doing things. And there's enough motion in this space where it's like, you know, they're going to come up with new, new ways of doing it. Like I had Liz Graham talk about SMS marketing the other week or email stuff. So. Yeah, I try to get people that are interesting that I think would be interesting to other people to listen to. So yeah, fantastic. And yeah, so one last thing, Scott. I, I know we talked a lot about marketing, growing businesses, but you do live in Sonoma, and I feel like you, you might know a little bit about wine. I feel like that. So what is the bottle of wine that, if you want to tell the audience they need to go out and buy to have a nice evening, what would be the bottle you go you have to? Trader Joe's by you guys. <laughs> Dude, yeah, we do have Trader Joe's by us. Yeah. So what really sucks, honestly, you guys, is like. I have the marketing mindset of like, when I go to a winery, I like most wines, like I, to, to be honest, like I don't, but like, you know, when they're marketing to you, like they're telling you that this bottle has like hints of elderberry underneath the cut grass. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I can't get out the idea that I know you're marketing to me. Like it's, it's wine. And I, the more I drink, the better I feel. Mm-hmm. I'm like really a bad guy to think because I overthink the marketing piece of it. And, um, and, I like Italian wines, even though I live in Sonoma, Napa area. But no, there's not. I mean, go to Trader Joe's has great <laughs> wine. It's like it's what you like. I just don't. I don't buy into like the the, the marketing hype no. behind. Or, really, you know, like so, you don't you don't like when they say we serenade the the grapes every <laughs> night with the the rare concerto on flute and people, you know, <laughs> to give the whimsy into your taste buds by the time that they no. ripen. Like you drink, you drink more, you feel good. You start <laughs> I did, I did have a, a random question for you, Scott. Why are you so good at the splits? Oh, that's a good random question. So as a boy growing up, I, uh, for whatever reason, thought that the most beautiful women on the planet were ballerinas. Uh, yeah. Uh, I, maybe <laughs> I don't think you're the first boy to have that thought, but yeah. I was watching Swan Lake or go, I don't right. know how, but like these random events where I saw these beautiful women doing ballet. And I'm like, how do I get access to those beautiful women? And I realized that, but that I needed to be a ballet dancer. And so while other people were playing football or doing whatever, I would sit in my room and stretch for hours, hours stretching with the idea of becoming a ballet dancer. Oh because gosh, that, yeah. you know, in my six year old brain, that was access to the prettiest women I could find. And while I did not become a ballet dancer, uh, what it left me with was an unusual amount of flexibility. So you put both legs over your head, do the splits. And so I am usually at ClickBank events. They ask me at some point during the party. <laughs> right. Further on than the night. <laughs> yeah. We were at a club. They'll usually bring this slightly overweight, you know, balding white guy out there to do the splits. And so that's one of the things I reserve just for ClickBank events. If it's any other event, it's, it's usually a $10,000 minimum fee. <laughs> so that's ClickBank. the plug to go to ClickBank events is to see Scott, Scott do, the do the splits, his childhood expertise. So 
That's fantastic. <laughs> great. Well, Scott, again, just really appreciate your time. It was great talking to you. I mean, there's amazing nuggets that people could really take those five things to, to make sure that they, they focus on them to scale, not just for a little bit, but for a long time and really create a transformative business. Um, so really appreciate your time. Um, be sure to join the Better Marketing Group for more, Scott, and subscribe, rate, review um, the podcast so when more amazing guests come on, just like Scott, you could get notified immediately. So thanks so much. You guys have a good day. And what do you say, Thomas? How do we close these out normally? Happy scaling. Happy scaling. All right. <laughs> thanks, guys. Bye. Thanks, Scott.